don't be in a big panic. I know everyone's so busy, blah, 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 but you need to take the time to get to know them and don't ever be too busy for them. That's like the kiss of death. If you're too busy with your busy, busy work that you can't spend some time with your board member or whatever, being heard and being appreciated, I know it sounds cliche, but are two of the most important things. Today we're in for a real treat. We're talking with my friend, Penny Kerlick, who I have known uh, for easily more than 20 years. And the reason we have Penny on today is Penny is the executive director of the Centennial College Student Association Incorporated at Centennial College in Toronto, Canada. And what makes her job unique, and I'm going to ask Penny to just talk a little bit about what a student association is and what it does, but what makes her position unique is, yes, there's a complement of full-time staff, but there is also upwards of 100 part-time students that work in the organization, but not continually. They're here for a year, two years, and then gone. And so today, what I want to talk to Penny about and what I want the audience to understand and get some, some learning from is what it means to work with this group. So we'll jump into it. So Penny Kerlick, welcome here. Thank you, Matthew. For those who don't understand what a student association is and how it works and what it means to work there and what possible job you could even do, can you just give us a high level of like what, what it's all about? Sure. So first of all, when I tell people that I work at a college, they assume one of two things, that either I'm a secretary or that I'm a teacher. And then when I tell them what I really do, either their eyes glaze over or they want more information. So this is what I really do. I work for the Student Association. And those of you that ever have attended college or university, you paid activity fees with your tuition. Whether you noticed it or not, you're paying activity fees. We, the Student Association, get those activity fees to provide programs, activities, and services for students on campus. So at Centennial, we have over 22,000 students that each semester that pay, uh, right now, it's $75 a semester fees, and we provide programs service activities through those fees. Centennial has five main campuses, so we serve students at five campuses. One small just opened up, so at our four main campuses we have offices that provide free legal aid to students, information about the domestic student health plan, it's a lounge, so there's pool tables and chairs and study spaces. We're the go-to people for students that have any questions, even though we may not know the answers. One of our driving goals is that we will get you to the right people. We don't like to ping-pong people. We like to get them to the right place. And so we try to provide these services con consistently across the four campuses. And we also do events, like fun things like pool tournaments and pizza days and pub nights and comedy shows, those kinds of social things. But we also do a lot of work around mental health initiatives and health and wellness. Those things are very important to us. We also run a athletic and wellness center here at the Progress Campus, but the mental health has become more and more of a, of a priority for us to deal with as an organization as we see our students struggling with mental health challenges each and every day. So uh, with the athletic and wellness center and student centers at all, the campuses, uh, how do you keep them running? So that's all those part-time staff we have. As I said earlier, we have 100 part-time staff, and those are our operations staff or our facilities staff. 
Every day, the students do all the setup and tear down for events. They do all the cleaning. They do all the maintenance. They take the garbage out. They cut the grass. They water the flowers. They help students. They open doors. They. We also run a food services operation uh, five days a week. Also, we have we're licensed, so we have a bar that's also open. So they work in the food services area or in the bar feeding the many people that come through our we have a student center at this camp at progress campus as well so people that come through that facility so that's one of our things that we're most proud of is that we have so many part-time student staff and interestingly enough this year every one of our part-time operation staff are international students Hmm. so over almost centennial we're just 50 50 international students and domestic students. And what that means is domestic students are students from Ontario. International are students from all around the world. For example, on our board, on my student board this year, I have a student from Mexico City, one from Pakistan, quite a few from India, and one from Brazil. So the diversity of those students on the board adds a whole other layer of t- to the work that so we let's, do. Let's talk about that. So I think it's easy to understand that you hire students to work part-time to do operations, cleaning, work in the kitchen, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there's this other, which, is it a job? Would you call it a job? It's, they are elected by their student, by the student body or appointed by the student board members. Um, so tell me, like, tell me about that. Well, it, um, it's interesting because half of them are elected, which means they go out and they get voted in and there's not a whole lot of criteria to to run for election. You have to be a full-time student, you have uh, have to have a certain GPA, it's 3.0 and you're in a previous semester. Uh, you have to have some volunteer experience. But other than that, anybody can apply to run for a position except for the position of president. He or she has to have been on the board on the, on the student board for a year and be able to work full-time. The student president's job is full-time. But the rest of them are, anybody who is able to win the election, we welcome them with open arms. And then the other half of them, we are hired through an appointed position process. And again, anybody can apply for these positions. The only criteria is the same as running in the election, except for the added component of having it to be interviewed by the board and hired for the position. But at the end of the day, the 13 of them are the board, and they set the, the governing tone for the organization every year. So before we dive a bit deeper into that, a typical college program is only three years. Right. Some, maybe a few a bit longer, many, uh, two years or one year. Yeah, so that's the reality of the work that we do. For example, my new board starting on Wednesday, uh, I have five returning board members. So they, they were on the board last year, and then the rest of them, eight of them, are brand new to the student association and so I'm lucky if I get somebody for two years and this year we, as I said we had five but most of the time it's like an 80 or 90 percent turnover and we have we call it groundhog day here mm. we have to start from scratch every year and if they're on the board for more than two or three years usually that indicates a problem that not a problem but maybe it's time for them to move on or uh you know, get another job. It's, it's, it's a very family-like organization that we run here, and it's mm. a very safe place to be. And sometimes people want to stay, mm. and sometimes I have to give them the gentle nudge to encourage them to, to move on yeah. to other endeavors. But usually, generally, it's a year and, and sometimes two years, but that's the extent of yeah, it. They're here for a good time, not a long yeah. time. And they can't run to be a part of the board 
they have to put in at least one semester. And so they're still really, they're still new. They're still like, as now I sound like an old person, but they're wet behind the ears 99% of the time when, we, when they join the organization. In addition to them being only around for a few years, these aren't like 45, 50-year-olds that have a wealth of experience that maybe come from a time that we are more familiar with being in that same generation. These are 18 to 25-year-olds. These are millennials. Now, millennials get a lot of guff in the media. These days are blamed for almost everything from the housing crisis, which is probably not their fault through uh, our phone culture. Uh, which might be their fault. But you, I know you see a lot of good. So for listeners that are, that are working uh, in offices and workplaces that have a lot of millennials coming in, what are some really great things that you see that this, this age group has? Um, I don't look at them like millennials. I try not to label people and put them in a little box because every single person is different. I have millennials that act like two-year-olds and ones that act like 50-year-olds. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to me, just because it is what it is. But there are some things that you have to be on top of. Like, I had an employee a few years ago. He wanted to wear his headphones to do work. And it really upset me because it was really went against my idea because he's not paying attention or that he's not being respectful for the other people in the office. And we kind of knocked heads over it. And now they all do that. And now I'm just so used to it. I, I, when they're not doing it, it's, it's like, why aren't you using your headphones? So I think it's just, it's like Groundhog Day again. I know I keep using that uh, example, but they bring something new in every day. And the only thing I have in, in my arsenal is patience. And if I stop being patient with these young people or any of the, any board members, or any people, then I can't do my job well anymore because that particular age group, they're impatient, so I have to be patient. They want things not now but right now. They ask a lot of questions, and I talk to them about how to ask questions. If you ask respectfully, I'll tell you anything, I'll show you anything, but if you come in all guns a-blazing, like, then that it gets people's backs up. I'm used to it, but then I have other 28 staff that aren't used to it, even though they work here. It's still, it's still, it's hard to re-explain everything every single year. Uh, it gets exhausting, but that's what we have to do. The other thing that's, that I've seen more and more with this group is that self-care is really important, and it's not a bad thing for us, those of us that are older, but they really want to balance their time that they're working with their, um, physical fitness and reading and meditation and and in the past couple of years I've seen that more more and more and that I found that very interesting and they'll get after me like oh you're not eating properly or you're not you know you're not getting enough sleep or we know like lay off the coffee and whereas before that really wasn't a it wasn't a thing but it's 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 a thing with them now and I, I find it it's a very kind thing and that can rub some of us the wrong way because you know we're getting the job done at all costs we're making phone calls because we're going to miss dinner this week. We're doing weekend retreats because, that aren't necessarily paid for, compensated for. So that's a tough thing. It is tough. So you can't be in this business if you don't like that. If you, don't, you can't do this kind of work if you don't like being pulled in 12 different directions and by a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old or someone that's younger than your own children. Mm. And the older I get, the, the younger, obviously, the younger, younger they get. But I have a student president this year who is 21, who is probably one of the wisest young men I've ever known. 
and he just turned 21 in February. Hmm. So is he, is he a millennial? I don't know. What, like, I don't even know. But he doesn't match all the things that they say are bad things. He does not match any of those things. Everyone's different. For yeah. sure, like, yes. We have to be more, more listen to their diversity. And I don't just mean the color of their skin, which lots of people think that's diversity. It's about where they come from, where they need their their situation, their sexuality, their you know their everything. That's the diversity, not just. And a lot of people think, oh, they, you know, we have a, a student that uses a wheelchair, so he's you know he's differently abled. And and I said once last year about that the student is in a wheelchair. And Sam, the student president, corrected me. He said, no, he uses a motorized wheelchair. And I thought, it's just the language that I need to be really thoughtful over what I said, because I wasn't being derogatory. Although once I did call, call them a bunch of snowflakes and got in trouble for it, and didn't realize, and I was calling them snowflakes because they were complaining about being too hot. Then, like, I was saying that they're, they're yeah. going to melt. Yeah, have you ever seen a snowman? Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. understand. And I got spoken to about, because he's like, Penny, do you know what a snowflake is? And I, so I go look it up, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, Penny, I, I better make sure when I'm calling them snowflakes, it's literally because they're, like, it's all going to be in context. Anyways, mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. But they're very hyper, like, sensitive to what yeah. you say. Yeah, for those of you listening, you can pause, Google snowflake and then come back uh, to understand the context. Now, I'm going to use air quotes now because uh, we were just talking about this before we started recording today. Every year you have a new group of excited people and they come to you, and here's my air quotes, they come to you with great new ideas. How do you, and I've watched you do use grace and patience to listen, but tell, like, give us your tips and tricks. Like, How do you deal with it when somebody comes into your office that literally has sometimes less than actual minutes of experience because they haven't started yet, they've just, been, they've just gotten their position, and they're telling you what to do and how to do it. What is your strategy around that? How do you help that person still succeed? Well, I won't lie to you. It's really difficult because lots of times they come in and they think that they can do your job better than, than you're doing yourself. And maybe they can, you know, but, but we still have to live with that. I listen, and I try not to be defensive, and I explain why things are the way they are. I find in my job lots of times I feel like I'm justifying why we do things. And generally they understand, but and sometimes when they don't understand or they don't like it, that's when it can go south. That's when they go and complain. That's when they get a group of their other student leaders together and try to kind of change the world. It's usually because they didn't get what they wanted or what their friends wanted. So that's why we have a board. If it's that important, we get them to bring it to the board. That's why we have meeting minutes. That's why I try to keep really good records and document things. But it, it's, I wonder sometimes where they get it from. Like, because it would never occur to me as a, I don't think, maybe I should ask my 19-year-old self, but to go into someone's office and say, why did you make this decision and why weren't students consulted and I want you to change it? Or I don't like the price of the food and our food services and, and I want you to change it. It's just a part of the job. And again, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I know I roll my eyes sometimes and I make a face. So I, and, and I'm 56, I'm still doing it. So I have to be mindful of that. But usually if you just listen to people and give them a chance and talk to them about other options or not why they can't do it, but why it's done this way, 99% of the time, 
it's okay. But that 1% when it's not, that's when it gets ugly. Mm. But that's when somebody's come in with an agenda. There's a good lesson there. Sometimes you're not going to win. No. Right? No. Sometimes that's just the reality of the job. So if you're listening and you work with a, a board of directors, uh, I have a great podcast, and I'll link it in the show notes, on board of directors and good governance and what it looks like to have a managing board of directors, what it looks like to have a really good governing board of directors and whose responsibility is what. And we answer questions like, what should a good board of director do? So check that out in the show notes. Uh, Penny just brought up a good uh, reason why you want to know that. So on the other side of that, the ones that come in that just maybe have an idea, like they ran on a single idea, they wanted to have more of X, and they one of a few things would happen. One, they might get more of X on day two, and what they're done. No. So how do you help those people that just have a single narrow vision? How do you help them be successful and grow? And you've had former board members here that have gone on to like run for government, that have become CEOs of companies, that have uh, gone on to become great educators, consultants, and done a lot of good in their community. So how do you help those people reach their full potential? What's the you only have a year, so how do you do it? Uh, I don't know. We do a lot of training. I always tell them at the beginning of the year to take advantage without taking advantage. Mm. That you can learn how to do almost anything in this job and be exposed to almost anything if you just put yourself in the right place. So if you want to learn about finances, we can teach you about finances. You want to learn how to chair a meeting, you want to learn how to write policy, you want to meet the president of the college, you want to travel, whatever it is, just let me know and we will work with you. We, we have this process called the monthly honorarium process where they're evaluated every month and in that document we ask them what kinds of things they want to do and what they want to work on but sometimes people just they get fizzled out and if they don't if they're one-minded they get discouraged and, and they'll leave or they'll move on to the next sexy item like a lot of people run like I think in campaigns they want to change all the food services in the college get free tuition and um, you know yeah. More transit, whatever. Right. Then they come in and when they start to learn about it, and not just from me, but I bring, I'll bring other people in. That's the other thing I learned. They can't hear it from me all the time, so they want to change food services. I bring the people in who run food services so they can understand the contract and what it is and the money and blah, 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 all that stuff. So they're like, oh, I didn't know that they had a financial obligation. So use your other resources mm -hmm. carefully. Because they'll shop around to the student leaders will shop around too. So always be the the go-to person, but have the right information. Mm -hmm. The young person that comes on that is just going to do great. How do you get behind them and encourage them? I learn about them. I ask. I spend time with them. I feed them. That's always a good one. Physically, you if, give them food. If, if I give them food or give. Um, I ask about their families. And that, to me, is always my go-to thing. My husband's in sales, and he always go, makes them some connection with how he knows the person from the place, whatever that is. My thing, my sales thing, is that I get to know them and, and their mom and their dad or what where they grew up or what their brothers and sisters. And, and I try to remember those kinds of things in the conversation. Because we have so many international students, I feel like we're their family in Canada, and I really I feel that really strongly. But I feel so, I feel an obligation and a responsibility to support them that way, and I think that helps them be successful too. Mm -hmm. So that's great advice. If you work in a place, if you're listening and you work in a place where you have a lot of seasonal staff that are young, that maybe are away from home for the first time, or if they're international. And don't be in a big panic. I know everyone's so busy, blah, blah, blah. 
but you need to take the time to get to know them and don't ever be too busy for them. That's like the kiss of death. If, you, if you're too busy with your busy, busy work that you can't spend some time with, a, well, with, with me, a student leader, or with your board member or whatever, even if it's like you miss doing something else, but being heard and being appreciated, I know it sounds cliche, is the most, I, two of the most important things. I was going to ask you as we wrap up what, you know, what is the most important aspect of your role as executive director when thinking about your relationship with the board members, but I think you might have answered it by saying listening. I think, I think listening and caring and, and treating them all exactly the same, giving everybody the same level of respect and time and that the president is no more important than the, the advocate or, or whatever. And, and, and sometimes, the pre- sometimes the president, they have pretty big heads. And sometimes it's my job to push their ego down a little bit. And th- frankly, that, that's hard because some people want to be aware, self-aware. Some people don't give a, they don't care. So th- those are the hard ones. But I think, you know, most of them want to be better. And most of them want to get great jobs when they leave here. And so if I can work with them to see the value of being respectful, being kind, doing your homework, all those things, then generally they're good. But some people, it's not the atmosphere. Some people just get, like I had a young lady resign a few years ago. She just, there was too, too much work. She didn't understand why she had to do all this training and why she had to go to all these meetings. And I thought, well, that's what you sign up for. But they read the package, they read the documentation, but until they have to do it sometimes, but that's like with anything, until you have to do it, until it sinks in, right? Mm. But it's the, be- it's the best job because they are, we have fun, we laugh, they ask lots of questions. And I, I hope if you were ever to interview a student leader that they would say the same thing. Penny Curlick, thank you so much for coming on the Leading With Nice podcast today. You're welcome. I want to thank our listeners. To learn more about this topic, visit leadingwithnice.com. And on our way out, I want to thank the people that helped make this podcast come together. Jeff Anhorn, Andrew Park, Austin Pomeroy. They all are involved in the production of this, and I am so grateful for them. So for Leading With Nice, my name is Matthew Ewell, and we want to help you inspire others, build loyalty, and get results. Talk to you next time.